Our church is doing a lot, and a lot is going on. And we've got a lot of transitions that take place, because whenever a lot is going on, transitions are taking place. Uh, last week, we celebrated the work that God has done through Kosecha, and uh, we have Angel and Vanessa with us here today, but we know that God is moving them for a period back to Mexico. We've got various people and various ministries and various transitions taking place. And the passage that kept coming to mind, in my mind, was 2 Kings chapter 2. And we'll get there in a minute. Actually, we're going to wait until the third point before we really dig into 2 Kings chapter 2. Because I want to remind you of the life of Elijah. So today's sermon is really going to be an overview of the entire life of Elijah. And what I want you to keep in mind as we look at Elijah's life is this fundamental need that we have, a need to keep God as the main thing, to keep the main thing the main thing, and that is God. So today we're going to dig into Elijah's life, and we're going to look at the ministry that he had. But what I want you to see throughout Elijah's life, throughout Elijah's ministry, is God's sovereign will playing out. It is about God. So let me remind you just a little bit about Elijah before we dig into it. Remember, Elijah is a prophet at the time when Israel is divided into a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. At the time that Elijah is a prophet, the northern kingdom, Israel, has really gone off the deep end, and they are deep into idolatry. This is the time of Ahab and Jezebel. Israel is a mighty nation, but really an evil nation at this point. And Elijah is largely ministering, is largely speaking to this nation of Israel. The name Elijah is a compound word of El and Yah, and it really would mean, my God is Yahweh, is what Elijah's name would mean. So sitting here in the middle of this nation that has really abandoned God, that has really given up on God, this prophet comes on the scene who happens to be named, my God is Yahweh. Despite this nation's tendency to go worship Baal, Elijah enters the scene whose God is Yahweh. So we might expect great things out of Elijah. We might expect that he would have a radical impact on this nation. But what I want you to see, first of all, what I want to remind you of, first of all, is that serving God can actually be a lot like a roller coaster. It can have ups and it can have downs. Serving God is a lot like a roller coaster until we realize that it's not about us. It is about God. So if you want to follow along in sort of the whirlwind tour of Elijah's life, you are welcome to. Remember, our main passage will be 2 Kings chapter 2. But Elijah really enters the scene in 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah enters the scene in the midst of a drought, or really calling on uh, a drought. And what we see in Elijah's first real show is that at times serving God takes us to a pinnacle. Elijah comes on the scene. He predicts a drought, 
He predicts rain. But he really hits the pinnacle on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is in the nation, the northern tribes of Israel. And I want to remind you of this story. So I'm not going to go into the text yet. We're going to save that for 2 Kings chapter 2. But I'll tell you the, the brief version of the story. Elijah approaches and asks for a challenge. He challenges this nation that is worshiping the false god, Baal. And he challenges Baal to a duel. This duel is, is really quite simple. Whoever is God will light their own sacrifice. You know, we're going to build the sacrifices to God. We are going to build the altars. We will place the sacrifice on the altar. And let's see which God shows up to accept the sacrifice. So Elijah gives the false prophets first dibs. Tells them, go ahead, build your sacrifice. They build their, build their sacrifice. Put your bowl on it. They, they offer up their bowl. And he says, now go ahead and start praying. Call on your God to light the sacrifice. You don't light it yourself. You know, you're offering this to God. Go ahead. Give him the opportunity. Let him light the sacrifice. Well, guess what? Uh, no surprises here. Ball doesn't show. So Elijah really kind of almost mocks him. Says, well, you know, maybe he's busy. You know how it is sometimes, like you're trying to get your parents' attention and they're just busy? So work at getting, getting his attention. And so these false prophets, they go all in. They begin cutting themselves open so that their blood's pouring out and calling on Baal, light the fire. But there's no response. By midday, it's pretty obvious the ball is not showing up. So Elijah begins. He rebuilds the altar to Yahweh. He stacks the stones, cuts up the bowl, and then he goes off the rails and he goes and grabs buckets of water and soaks the sacrifice. Why? Because his God is big. Soaks the sacrifice, and then he prays. I want you to listen to his prayer in 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 36 and 37. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, it's all capitals, so that's actually Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. And answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Elijah's prayer is answered. God sends down fire that not only consumes the sacrifice, not only consumes the water, not only consumes the wood, but even consumes the very stones and soil on which the altar had been built. The people respond by declaring, Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. Elijah's mountaintop experience 
is epic. Or should I say slay? Elijah was victorious, but it wasn't Elijah. It was God. Remember, that's what he prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God. Sometimes serving God takes us to the pinnacle. If I were writing a movie script, the next thing that would happen would be Elijah would go on to do something else great, but that's not how the story goes. In 2 Kings 19, Elijah flees to Horeb or Sinai, two, two names for the same place. And as he flees, he winds up in the desert in Beersheba. Sometimes God places us in the wilderness. Sometimes after being at the pinnacle, we find ourselves in the wilderness. After the victory, Ahab goes and tells Jezebel. Jezebel responds with a threat. Elijah's a dead man. So what does Elijah do? He flees to the wilderness. And if you look at verse 4 of chapter 19, you will see the state of Elijah's mind. After a victory, after the pinnacle of ministry, look at where Elijah's at. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush and sat down under it. And he said, take my life, Lord. I am no better than my ancestors. Guess what? Elijah was right. He was no better than his ancestors. None of us are. Where Elijah was wrong is it wasn't about Elijah. It was about God. No, Elijah, you're no better than your ancestors. Because if you focus on yourself, you're going to be in the wilderness. God, thankfully, doesn't leave Elijah there, though. God calls Elijah out and takes him back to the pinnacle, back to Mount Sinai. Life can be brutal. The ups and downs of life can make us sick to our stomach if we're not looking at the Lord. On Mount Sinai, we see that God has a very important lesson for Elijah to learn. Look at chapter 19, verse 9. The second half, it says, And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? God's response to Elijah is really simple. What are you doing? You're at the pinnacle. Now you're in the valley. Now I've taken you back to Mount Sinai. Elijah, what are you doing? Where are you looking? And then God proceeds to reveal to Elijah who God really is, to shift Elijah's focus from himself onto God. Elijah replies in verse 10. He says, God, I've been very zealous 
for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah says, look, look at all I've It's not about you. It's about God. God addressed Elijah's problem by saying, look at me. Wind blow over the mountain. Those words, but what he does is he first has a great wind blow over the mountain, but God's not in the wind. He has a great earthquake, but God's not in the earthquake. A fire burns and God's not in the fire because where is God? In verse 12, we see that God is a gentle whisper. Elijah, look at God. God was at work, but Elijah needed to be looking in the right direction. The ups and downs can make you sick to your stomach if you're not focused on the right thing. You all know I love flying airplanes, and people often ask, have you ever been upside down? The answer is yes. But I've only actually been sick in an airplane once. And let me tell you how I got myself sick. I got really sick. I was riding in the back of a crop duster and we were dusting crops. And all I could do was look out to the side because the way a crop duster is set up is you've got a pilot in front and you've got a pilot in back. And the pilot in back can't see forward. They can only look to the side. And after about 45 minutes of up and down and up and down and side and side and yanking and banking is what we call it, not looking forward, I was sick. I was really sick. In general, motion sickness happens when you don't have your eyes forward. When you're not focused on the thing that is the main thing, you'll get sick. And it's the same way in our spiritual life. If we don't focus on God, you're going to get sick. You're going to find yourself miserable. We have to keep our eyes forward on God, and that's the message that God has here for Elijah to learn. You were on the pinnacle, Elijah. You were way up. Then you were way down in the valley, and then you were way up on the pinnacle. And Elijah, if you don't put your focus on God, you're going to lose it. So my action step for us out of this first point of Elijah's life is I want you to do some self-reflection. What does it look like to put your eyes on God right here and now? What does it look like in your life, in the state that you're in right now, to put your eyes on God, to let him be your focus? I think Elijah learned an important lesson at this point because as we continue through our whirlwind tour of the life of Elijah, I don't see him in the depths of depression again. What I see is victories and maybe not as much victories, but I see Elijah really following God entirely. Really what happens is we see God clearly building. There are times in life where we can clearly see God building to something great. Sometimes as we go through life, we can see that God is on to something really 
big. We serve a mighty God. And there's times where he seems to be so involved that we can't help but ask, what's happening next, God? What do you have in store for me next? What is the next step in God's plan? After Mount Sinai, even on Mount Sinai, God tells Elijah that he's not alone. See, part of God's building program oftentimes is that God provides people that can be trained to be the next generation. In verses 19 through 21 of 1 Kings 19, we are introduced to a new man, Elisha. If you ever can't remember who's who, S comes after J. That's how I keep track of it. (laughs) Elisha is going to be this new leader, this new prophet, this individual who can take over the reins of Elijah's ministry when the time comes. In verses 19 through 21, we learn a little bit about Elijah. He's the unlikely candidate for Elijah's position. Why? Well, look at, look at what Elijah's doing, or Elisha is doing. He's plowing. He has a job. Elisha is not looking for a job. He's out in the field working. Now, I want you to notice something. He's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Okay, I present to you that any farmer that's got 12 tractors working the field at one time is a wealthy farmer. Elisha doesn't need a job. He doesn't need a new career path. He probably is set to inherit a pretty good estate. But he's God's choice. Because God is the one who's in charge. And it's not about Elijah. It's not about Elisha. It's about God. God was building something great, and Elisha was God's man for that. But it's not Elisha's time just yet. Elijah still has work to do. And as we continue our story of Elijah, we can go to 1 Kings chapter 22, and you're welcome to turn there with me. Again, I'm not putting the scripture up because this isn't the... And that is to remove obstacles. Sometimes God works to remove obstacles. We have Ahab. Ahab, a mighty king of Israel. He was a strong enough, powerful enough king that other kings wrote about Ahab of other nations. He's a big deal. He was an evil guy. There's a reason we don't name people Jezebel anymore. Okay? But we have Ahab. He was, if you'll bear with me, the arch nemesis of Elijah in many ways. The narrative consistently pits Ahab against Elijah. But in 1 Kings chapter 22, we see that God is removing this major obstacle. Ahab is going to be removed. Few people had done more to lead Israel into evil than Ahab and his wife Jezebel, and the time had come for God to remove him. If you look at chapter 22, towards the end, where we actually see Ahab removed, so that starts in verse 29 of chapter 22, 
it is clear that it is God who does this. So Ahab gets a hold of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, remember to the south. And Ahab asks Jehoshaphat to go into battle with him. Jehoshaphat, for all the good he does, this guy's a sucker. Um, Jehoshaphat agrees. Yeah, I'll go into battle with you, Ahab. Then Ahab really pulls a fast one. Says, well, you know, they're kind of after me. So here's the plan. I want you to dress up as a king. You know, you're the king of the south. But I want you to dress up as the king. I'm planning to wear plain clothes in this battle because I know that they're gunning for the king. And Jehoshaphat says, yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> the army begins chasing after Jehoshaphat, thinking that he's Ahab. Jehoshaphat finally cries out, and they realize, oh, this isn't Ahab. What are we going to do now? Well, an archer at random, it, it literally in the text says, an archer at random randomly shoots an arrow up into the air. It happens, happens, to strike Ahab, not in the breastplate, but in between the pieces of armor, the plates of armor, piercing him in such a way that he bleeds out in the chariot and dies. This was nothing short of God removed Ahab. Sometimes God even removes the major obstacles to our ministry. So bear with me on this, on how much God is building. God has introduced Elijah to Elisha. Here's the person that you can train, that you can build into. God has now removed the major obstacle to Elijah's ministry in Israel. And when we get to 2 Kings chapter 1, the opening chapter, what we see is that God is clearly demonstrating his sovereign power. God sometimes will so clearly demonstrate his sovereign power that it cannot be denied. And that's the judgment of Ahaziah, King Ahab's son. So Ahab is dead. Ahaziah, his son, comes on the throne. And this story is just a fascinating story to me. Because Ahaziah, son of Ahab, is in his third-story bedroom and manages to fall out of the window. I don't know how. The text doesn't really tell us. But that's what happens. He falls out of the window. He's hurt. And so he sends a messenger to Elijah and says, what's... Actually, he doesn't send it to Elijah. He sends it to a false prophet. Elijah catches the messenger and says, what's going on? They tell him. Elijah says, yeah, he's going to die. The guy fell out of the window. He's going to die. So then Ahaziah comes up with a plan. He figures he's king of Israel. I'm going to change God's mind. So Ahaziah rallies 50 troops and a captain and says, go fetch for me, Elijah. Now, if you send 50 troops and a captain to go get somebody, you're not getting them on nice terms, right? That's not where you say, hey, would you go invite him over to dinner? No. Ahaziah sends 50 men with a captain. God sends fire, wipes them out. Ahaziah is not to be deterred. He wants to live, does it again. God sends fire, wipes him out. The next time, the captain gets a little bit wise and realizes that 
He may have 50 men, but that's nothing compared to God's power. God is showing the entire nation, but particularly the king, that God cannot be manipulated. God is not ordered around. God's prophet is not going to just receive orders from the king. God has shown Elijah that he's in control. He's got somebody for Elijah to train. He's removed the major obstacles to ministry, and he is in charge. No king gets to order Yahweh around. Sometimes God builds something great. So my action set for you. How have you seen God building something great? Reflect on that. Do you see God at work? The first action point was to put your focus on God. As you go through the ups and downs in life, focus on God. The second is to look and ask, how have I seen God building something great? Now for 2 Kings chapter 2. It's a little bit of a longer passage, but let's read it, starting in verse 1. And Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will, Elisha, and asked. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked for a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel... And Elisha saw them no more. Then he took a hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we are servants of 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. 
But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days, but did not find him. When they had returned to Elisha, who was staying at Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? The focus has always been and must always be on God, not a mere servant. If I were making a movie of Elisha's life, after chapter one and his victory over the power of King Ahaziah, I would have had him ride off into the sunset like a good Western movie. Right? He has done it. He's been at the pinnacle. He's been in the valley. He's been back at the pinnacle. We know that now he serves the God, the God who is the all-powerful God. What's there left to do? Let's let him ride off into the sunset, but that movie would be about Elijah. And that's not what the story's about. The story's about God. It has been, and it always will be about God. So, with that in mind, what do we see in the text? First of all, we see that God will preserve his work. It's not for humans to bear the burden themselves. I'm sorry, that's my second subpoint. Let me go to my first subpoint. The first thing we see is that God continues his work through those who are willing to work. I love this exchange that takes place between Elijah and Elisha. Elijah knows he's going to heaven. So he tells Elisha, why don't you just stay here? You know, today is the day. Why don't you just hang out here? And Elisha says, absolutely not. I will follow you and I will learn from you until the moment I can no longer learn from you. So a second time, Elijah says to Elisha, you can just stay here. And Elijah, Elisha responds, absolutely not. In fact, the prophets come to him. And they say, don't you know that today's the day? What are we going to do about our ministry? Don't you know that ministry as we know it is over? Elijah's going to be gone. Things are going to fall apart. Don't you realize that? And Elisha says, be quiet. Why? Because Elisha recognizes that God is the one who's the focus. It's God who's at work. It's not Elijah who's at work. It never has been Elijah who's at work. Elijah has always been just the mere servant of God. So why do we need to make a big deal about Elijah passing? Let's honor him. I'll stay with him and I'll learn from him. But it is always about God. It's not for humans to bear the burden because it is God's work. The final thing that just really stands out to me is in verses 7 through 10. God is the one who qualifies the called. Look at what Elijah asks. Elisha, what can I do for you? Elisha's request is simple. Can I have the right of the firstborn 
not in the sense of the firstborn literally, but in the sense of, I know that it's God who has equipped you for ministry, and I want that same equipping. Elisha's request is actually simple and at the same time complicated. Elisha asks Elijah if he can receive the same empowerment from God that Elijah has received for ministry. But he actually asks for more. He asks for a double portion. Can I have double the power? So here's a quick aside. If you count up the miracles Elijah does in the text, and then you count up the miracles Elisha does in the text, Elisha actually does twice as many miracles as Elijah. It was God who gave Elisha the power. And Elisha recognized that it was God who qualifies the called. Elisha asked for God to qualify him. And that request was granted. Finally, my action step. When it comes to ministry, just do it. The story ends in a, a pretty epic way. Elijah is taken to heaven in a chariot of fire. The prophets come to, Elijah, to Elisha and they say, can we go look for the body of Elijah? And Elisha's response is, this sure seems like a distraction. Okay, it doesn't say that, but that's the implication of it. Why are we focused on the body of Elijah? That doesn't matter. We serve the God of the universe. Finally, Elisha allows them to, and they can't find it, and they come back, and Elisha says, I told you. We need to get to work, not focus on the man. When it comes to serving God, just do it. Transitions happen all the time. And we need to honor transitions. But we need to make sure our focus is on God. I actually want to uh, do something a little bit different before we pray. I'd like to invite Cheryl, if you'd come forward, and Jessica, because we have a transition taking place in our church. And I'd like to honor this transition. Cheryl has served us for a number of years as our preschool coordinator. And she's moving into a role of event planning. And Jessica is going to step into the role of preschool coordinator. So as we watch God transition, we want to honor those who are serving. And so, Myra, if you want to come forward, Myra has something to present. And what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to come down and we're going to all pray together as we transition for our invitation. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that it is all about you and that we can transition as we focus on you, that we can have people step into various leadership roles, that we can watch people serve, watch as people put their focus on you. And so I pray for Cheryl and Jessica specifically today as they are transitioning into different roles in our church and serving in different ways in our church. I thank you for their willingness to serve. I thank you for their willingness to put their focus on you. I pray that you would bless both of them in these ministries. I pray that you would bless the kids who benefit 
from two women who are willing to lay aside themselves in order to direct people's attention to you. Father, I thank you for the way that you have blessed our church with true servants. In Jesus' name, amen.